Welcome to the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. Hi, I'm here with Carl Diley from Sealed Air. How are you doing today, Carl? Just fine, David. How about yourself? Good. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the war on plastics versus food waste, right? Okay. okay. My pleasure. So um, these are two very big issues, and probably plastic pollution, plastic waste, gets a lot more um, press right now than food waste. How and why are they connected? So, David, that's a, a great question of how and why is food waste and uh, plastic waste connected? And, you know, basically a focus of uh, our technologies and our innovations over the years have been to develop uh, predominantly flexible plastic solutions that protect food from both food safety and extend the shelf life of the food product to allow them to be shipped from where they're produced to the ultimate consumer in a safe and wholesome fashion. So obviously, as everyone knows, the significant statistics around the amount of food that's wasted, about 33% globally and as high as 40%, even in a country like the United States, finding ways to uh, reduce that food waste is, is very much a humanitarian, economic, and environmental issue. So in the last two years, you're very right, uh, solid plastic waste has become an increasingly um, discussed issue with sustainability and the war on plastics and even the plastics in the ocean. And so you've gotten a lot of uh, emotional uh, issues tied up in uh, the, the, the need to, uh, you know, provide for uh, minimizing food waste were kind of the dichotomy of now reducing plastic waste. What's the trade-off there? Like, how can you do both of those things at the same time? And, and how we can, you know, kind of uh, eliminate a trade-off. So you don't want a trade-off. You don't want to, we want to continue to advance and to minimize food waste, but we want to do it in a very sustainable fashion. And so from a packaging perspective is what we're looking at doing is making the packaging materials more circular versus the linear process where we used to take raw materials, convert them into a package material, package a product, go to the consumer, and then go to landfill. We now want the products to go through that process, but then either be recycled back into the product or reused. So we've made some significant uh, pledges or commitments to increase the amount of recycled material we use, make our materials more acceptable for recycling, and support all the initiatives around creating a more circular economy so we can continue to further the fight against food waste, but do it in a very environmentally friendly manner. Because at the end of the day, they're both resources that are vitally needed by the world we live in. Can you um, go into detail on some of the things that you have to do to make more plastics recyclable and make yeah. sure they actually get recycled? Yes, David. So to make materials more recyclable, we make some very complex materials that are very thin. But because they're complex and they're made of many different resins, that inherently makes them harder to recycle in the recycle streams that are available today. Something like a water bottle that's made out of a mono resin 
that's relatively easy to recycle. You just reprocess it, melt the plastic down, repelletize it to a resin form and re-extrude it. Uh, if you have a multi-layer material, that's not near as easy to do. So our strategy is several fold. One, to make the materials more uh, receptive to recycling, re-engineer the materials so that they can use recycled content as well as be recycled, and even look at things like bio-derived resins that are made from renewable resources that we can use to make functional materials as well. And we're involved in doing all three. Go into a little detail on the bio-derived resins and what are the sources that you use to make those chemicals? So we have a uh, partnership with a company named Carare, who uh, has a technology that they call Plantic that's made from corn. And that immediately excites everybody because they say, you know, corn's either used for animal feed or used for human feed, and you can't divert that to make plastic materials. Well, this happens to be a very unique corn that has a very high amylose uh, content, and that's typically not used for human feed or animal feed. We can take this product, they then convert it into a resin that we're able to extrude. And what's unique about it is, because there are other bio-derived resins on the market, but most of them don't have functionality. This particular product has a lot of functionality. It has oxygen barrier to prevent oxidative rancidity of products, has uh, you know, a abuse barrier to protect the product through the rigors of distribution. So it's a very unique technology that uses a renewable resource to make a packaging product. So at the end of life, at the consumer, it's typically made in a lamination where you have two recyclable materials with this polymer trapped in, in between. It's easily separatable, and um, the corn-based product can be uh, dissolved, and the uh, recyclable resins that sandwich it get recycled and used again. So it's a completely renewable product. That can be recycled in like the current recycling stream? Yes, David. And that's the beauty of this is that the resins that we're using are the same that you would make a water bottle out of that already have a well-established recycle stream. And we can even use um, re uh, resins, recycled resins into the product. Okay. I've seen a lot of controversy recently about biodegradable plastics not biodegrading. What's behind that issue? Yeah, Dave, and that's been the issue with biodegradable materials since um, the inception of them. So for years, there have been a lot of studies where biodegradable materials have gone to landfill and they dig them up years later and they haven't degraded at all because they're not in the presence of either the right uh, organisms, oxygen, moisture, what have you, to propagate the degradation. There's also the second argument is you really don't, if you put a product in the landfill, you don't really want it degrading because it could then degrade and depending on what it's made of, potentially even get into the water stream. So we haven't necessarily focused a lot on biodegradable materials. We looked at solving it with a, a variety of other uh, options. But at the end of the day, having some level of biodegradable product uh, is probably part of the solution. It's just what that technology will be. But yes, it has a history of uh, not being an acceptable technology. 
How far out do you think we are from truly biodegradable plastics? So, David, the issue with, uh, or to your question of how far out are we on biodegradable products, it's not only biodegradable products, but a number of these other solutions that we have to really look at in what, what are they being used for. Uh, if they're just a carrier for a product, they can be used in a lot broader level of applications. If they're trying to protect the product, especially like a food product, then um, they have to have functionality. They have to have properties like oxygen barrier, moisture barrier. In this day and age, you know, with merchandising, they have to be printable. So there's a lot of functionality that materials have to have. So we see like biodegradable materials being a component of the solution, maybe not a total part of the solution. But that's where we're seeing that, you know, marrying or coupling multiple technologies together to minimize the amount of non-recyclable uh, kind of uh, linear uh, uh, products to a minimum and maximizing the amount of either recyclable products or things like uh, bio-derived or even biodegradable products in combination with the highly functional materials. Okay. I've seen a lot of stories recently about various countries banning particular single-use plastics. Maybe it's most often shopping bags. Can you give us kind of a little tour of regulatory requirements that you see popping up over the world? Right. There are a lot of regulatory things that are, are occurring around the world. And I think if you take a look at kind of the domino effect, some of the first issues started in China, where they had a national sword uh, regulation uh, where they stopped importing or stopped receiving scrap plastic from around the world. They were the largest receiver of scrap plastic produced in the world, and they typically reprocessed it. They decided that that wasn't in their best uh, interest, so they stopped doing it. India also imports a significant amount of scrap plastic. They soon followed suit. So you saw a lot of this plastic backing up around the world if they didn't have the infrastructure uh, to address it. So what you're seeing is a lot of subsequent regulations trying to help address the issue. And one of the you know, proposed regulations that you see a lot of is banning single-use plastics or banning certain packaging items that they think may be harder to process or, or what is maybe perceived as more of an environmental issue. I mean, straws are made out of polyethylene. Uh, straws are very recyclable and that they're made out of a single material. If you can collect them, you can recycle them, but they've been kind of at the epicenter. You mentioned grocery bags as well. They're made out of a single resin. A lot of those products can be easily recycled, but they get the focus in that they not don't believe, or the general sense is they don't provide any level of functionality, so they're easy to get rid of. And when you see someone like McDonald's that uses 95 million straws a day, you can say, hey, you don't really need a straw. You don't really need a disposable bag. You can use a reusable bag. Let's just ban them. The reality is, is on some of the reusable bags, you'd have to use them 3,000 times to basically neutralize the carbon footprint of the disposable bag that's produced today. So there's a huge amount of emotion in it right now. It's where we need to get to, David, is where we get to um, B 
beyond emotion and start solving this issue with uh, good scientific innovation and investment. That sounds good. You touched on greenhouse gas emissions, and that's a very important thing. It's kind of a different issue than plastic waste in the oceans, which, of course, is a gigantic problem. We need to find a solution for that. But on the other hand, we have this greenhouse gas problem, and plastics kind of help reduce greenhouse gases in some ways. In other ways, of course, since they're petroleum-based, many of them take energy. They contribute to greenhouse gases. So can you kind of go into some depth? Dave, what you described in saying, you know, you have, uh, you know, plastic waste, you have uh, greenhouse gas emissions produced by both the uh, food product as well as the packaging material or at least the production of it. I think you really have to look end to end from where food is produced to where food is finally consumed and any of the packaging material disposed of, uh, whether it's recycled or reprocessed. And look, there's there's multiple steps in there that have some level of environmental impact on the resources we use. First and foremost on the food, it can produce a, a significant amount of greenhouse gas if it's wasted and disposed of in a landfill. But prior to that, it's the most significant use of fresh water it's obviously significant use of arable land as well as energy. So there's a lot of resources that go into producing food and getting it to the consumer. The worst thing you want to do is throw it away before the consumer can gain the nutritional benefit of that food product. That's where packaging can play a role, and you get a significant return on investment, a much smaller carbon footprint by about 370-fold compared to the food product that is, um, it's protecting. So it does provide a real benefit on greenhouse uh, gas. It also provides a benefit from the humanitarian standpoint and economic standpoint of minimizing food waste, but it also has an environmental uh, viewpoint as well. And I think we just have to address in a collaborative manner, and that's why I really applaud Alltech for uh, some of the uh, programs and processes that it's looking at. You have to start from food production all the way through consumption, and every step of that chain, look for how you can make it the most uh, efficient, effective, and renewable manner possible. Tell me a little bit about what Sealed Air does, just very briefly, and then I'll ask you about that later at the end. Okay. So we're a global corporation, and we basically, um, our history is in we're two areas. We're in protective packaging, so things like bubble wrap, void fill, e-commerce, heavy automotive, things of that nature where we're protecting products from where they're made to either where they're going to be used or the consumer. So a lot of that is secondary or tertiary packaging. And then we have about two-thirds of our business is in uh, food packaging, predominantly perishable foods, whether they're fresh or frozen foods. So tell me a little bit about efforts that, say, the plastic industry, the packaging industry, or consumer goods industries are taking to reduce plastic waste in the ocean. 
what the industry is doing to reduce the amount of plastics that are going into the ocean. And first and foremost, a lot of the plastics that are in the ocean don't come from food packaging or even they come from things like fishing nets and all sorts of other sources. They're, they're, they're general garbage. I, I saw a statistic on even how many toothbrushes are part of this plastic waste in the ocean. But that doesn't alleviate us from having to help address the topic. And again, the, the basically the plastics industry is focusing on making our products much more renewable. So one would just be reducing the amount of materials we use to provide the same protection. In the last 20, 25 years, we've reduced through technologies amount of plastic that's actually used by a significant amount. So we're, we're more productive with less initial product. That's kind of step one. Step two is then being able to utilize materials that can be easily recycled into multiple products, whether they go back into food packaging or they go back into other forms of packaging. We need to be able to sort, segregate, and reprocess those plastics. Um, a very efficient use of the plastics is to incinerate them and get the original energy out of them. But even though that can be done in a very environmentally friendly manner, it's not broadly considered a very acceptable thing to do. So we're not using that as a solution. We're looking at how we can take those products and then reprocess them. We're also looking at how you design package styles to minimize the amount of plastic and using a variety of different sources of material, whether it be more paper goods, more bio-derived products, as you know, to complement the plastic material so that they're separatable and that you can separate those that uh, should be recycled and separate those that go into other waste streams. So we're looking at it from a very comprehensive manner. Our suppliers, the resin companies, the large producers of them, our raw material products are heavily engaged as well. We're engaged and we're engaged with our customers. And David, that's the type of collaboration it's going to take to make a significant impact on addressing the amount of plastic waste that ends in the environment, whether it's in the ocean or a landfill. What do you see as a solution to the challenge with China and maybe other markets ceasing taking recyclables? So the biggest challenge the rest of the world's going to have with China and Russia taking less of the plastic waste and reprocessing it is having the infrastructure to reprocess. So closer to home in America, uh, water bottles are commonly recycled. They are the most recyclable products on the market because they're made of a resin that we call PET, the initials for it. And there are many sources of being able to recycle water bottles. However, many other products are made of a single resin. And in America, there are no um, recycle streams. Although the products could be recycled, I mentioned straws earlier, they're made of a different resin, a polyethylene, that's easily recyclable if the streams are set up. So there's a level of investment that's going to need to be made. And you see a lot of entrepreneurs in Europe getting involved and getting involved in either mechanical or chemical reprocessing that will allow this circular economy to be developed. But it's mainly infrastructure is the biggest inhibitor to doing it tomorrow. 
And do you think that that business will be able to close the loop on the circular economy? Will there be enough money in recycling to do that? Or is it going to take initiatives from governments to make that happen? I think you're going to see that the investment's going to come from the private industry. You're going to see joint ventures set up and collaborations set up between multiple companies to invest into infrastructure. And I think you will also see governments putting tariffs on uh, virgin resin uh, to make it more economical to recycle. Because there's no there's no argument today, David, that recycled resin's more expensive than virgin resin. And if you think about it, the processes have been there for 40, 50 years to turn petroleum products into resins, and they've gotten very good at it. Now, to recycle a resin, you've got to sort it, you've got to claim it, you've got to clean it, you have to reprocess it, and then you have to ship it to where it's going to be used. And all of that has infrastructure that has to be put in place to get there. It will become economical over time, but I think you'll see taxes and some things levied to take the uh, cost disadvantage out of doing the right thing. Okay. Are there any um, countries that are levying those taxes right now? Uh, There are some that are proposed in the UK as well as in continental Europe. It's interesting, Europe's going even one step further is that they're going to tax virgin resins and they're going to also tax, um, uh, to a significant quantity, by the way, uh, maybe one to two euros per kilogram. So a, a pretty high tariff uh, com- when you consider the cost of the, uh, the uh, base resin product. But they're also going to tax recycled resins if they come outside of the European Union. So they not only want you to recycle the products, They want you to recycle the products that are used within their geography because they're trying to solve their problem in minimizing this waste. So, for instance, if uh, North America or even China were to get significantly into reprocessing scrap back into resin, they they don't want it coming from offshore. They're wanting it to come from their geography. So I think it'll get quite interesting before we get to the final solution. Yeah, that sounds kind of exciting. So um, are there any last points that you'd like to leave us with, something you see on the horizon that you think is really going to be good? Yes, David, the last points I'd like to make are we understand it's a very emotional topic. Anytime you see a sea creature that's disadvantaged by uh, pollution that's in the ocean, especially if it's plastic waste, uh, it's obviously a very emotional issue because you have a belief you can prevent it. And we can. And uh, so what we've been talking about are various things that industry can do to minimize product that either go to landfill or get discarded and may end up, uh, you know, causing an environmental issue. So uh, the industry is committed. The industry is investing a lot of money in it, but it will take time to get to where we need to go. But the thing I really like is, is in a, a very conservative industry, There are people signing up for pledges to make significant strides by 2025 and 2030 to address this issue without even knowing exactly how we're going to get there. We just know we need to get there. And if we don't make these commitments and we don't make these investments, 
we'll never get there. So um, that's probably my last commitment as I know it's or comment. We know it's emotional and just rest assured that there's a level of awareness, acceptance and investment and in innovation going on in this area. Thanks so much, Carl. It was great talking to you and uh, glad to learn a little more about that topic. Well, thank you very much, David. I appreciate all that Alltech's doing for the industry. And this is a great conference and you have a lot to be proud of. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future podcast presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash ag future. these investments will never get there. So um, that's probably my last commitment as I know it's or comment. We know it's emotional and just rest assured that there's a level of awareness, acceptance and investment and in innovation going on in this area. Thanks so much, Carl. It was great talking to you and uh, glad to learn a little more about that topic. Well, thank you very much, David. I appreciate all that Alltech's doing for the industry. And this is a great conference and you have a lot to be proud of. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future podcast presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash ag future.